So, there's a story about a man who lived over 100 years ago. And this man, he, uh, he's out front of his house one day, and something crazy happens. A dog comes up out of nowhere and bites him, attacks him. And he ends up in the hospital. And sure enough, they do some tests, and they find out that this guy got rabies. The doctor finds out he has rabies. And over 100 years ago, they had no vaccine for rabies. They had no cure for rabies. And so if you got rabies, you died. So the doctor comes into the room to, to give this man the news. And he says, look, I'm so sorry, but you have rabies. And it's terminal. And there's nothing we can do but make you comfortable. I'm so sorry. And the guy's just devastated. And he's <clears throat> just staring at the wall the whole rest of the day. Doesn't move a muscle. Just totally... I mean, one day he's doing totally fine. He gets bitten by a dog, and now he's going to die. The next day, the doctor comes into the room to check on him, and he sees the guy. He's not in bed anymore, and he's actually excitedly writing something down on a piece of paper. And the doctor says, well, what are you doing? Are you, are you getting your will, to, will together? It's, it's awesome to see that your mood has changed like this. Man, it's, it's crazy to see that you've changed so much. What are you doing? Are you writing the people you love? Are you... Are you getting together your, your estate for the, for the ones you love to leave to them? And the guy looks at the doctor and he says, no, I'm writing a list of all the people I'm going to bite before I die. <laughs> See, I feel like sometimes we have these lists of people that we want to bite, right? We've been going through this series on the Lord's Prayer, and today we're getting to the part about forgiveness. Um, last week was, give us this day our daily bread. And this week is forgive us our debt, debts, trespasses. What, what, which one is it? Right? Like, like, depending on what church you grew up in or what kind of church you go to, you might say debts. You might say forgive us our trespasses. You might say forgive us our sins. You might say forgive us our wrongdoings. Um, there's all these different words used here. And so that was like when I found out I was going to be preaching on this, that was the first thing I started to look into. I was like, why, why does this word have so many different meanings? And so, as I looked into it, I found out that the word actually translated is debts. But, of course, we're not talking about a debt of money here. We're not saying, God, forgive me my credit card debt, please, like, just make it go away. (laughs) God, forgive me my car payment, forgive me my mortgage. I mean, that would be awesome if God just made those go away, but that's not what we're praying here. We're praying that God would forgive us a sin debt. So that's why some people will say, uh, Lord, forgive us our sins, because the debt that's used here is talking about this sin debt that is owed to God. And other other people will say trespasses. And the reason that other people will say trespasses is um, the idea of debts for us is a lot different than debt was 2,000 years ago. For 2,000 years ago, if you had a debt that you did not repay, that was punishable by law. That was even punishable by death, depending on what kind of debt it was. And for us now, if we, we have debt, it's bad. Yeah, we don't want to have debt. But it's not like if we don't pay our debt, we're going to die, unless you owe that debt to the mafia. But <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not like this life or death thing. It's not this punishable by law thing. But what is punishable by law? Trespassing. This idea of, of going where you shouldn't go. 
being where you shouldn't be on someone else's property, and that's punishable by law. That's punishable, I mean, if they show up with a shotgun, it could be punishable by death. And so there's this idea that trespasses is also a great word to use because it gets the severity of what Jesus is saying through to us. And so really probably the best word we could use is this punishable sin debt. Lord, forgive us our punishable sin debt as we forgive others who have punishable sin debts against us. And so um, I, I also, as, as I was looking into this verse, I kind of realized that this was the only part of the Lord's Prayer that, that Jesus afterwards has to explain. That the, rest of the, ver- the rest of the parts of the Lord's Prayer, there's kind of almost six parts to it, um, and they're kind of self-explanatory, or at least Jesus thinks they're self-explanatory, but this little part, just following the Lord's Prayer, he feels like he has to explain. So he says, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then, so that's verse 13, and then in verse 14, he says this, explaining what he just said. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you yours. It's pretty intense. Jesus is it's pretty pointed here. I mean, that's some of the harshest words that Jesus speaks right there. And so there's this correlation between our forgiveness, us being forgiven, and our forgiveness of others. And, I, and what I want you to know is there, it's not as if our, forgives, our forgiveness of others earns us forgiveness with God. But there is this correlation between God's forgiveness to us and our forgiveness to others. And there's tons of verses in the Bible that talk about this correlation um, in Ephesians, Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. It's this idea that forgive others just as God forgave you. Another verse um, from Mark 11, When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. There's this correlation between our forgiveness and the forgiveness we offer others. Again, in, in Colossians, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's almost over and over again. The Bible talks about this idea that our forgiveness of others is tied in with God's forgiveness of us. I think... Uh, Jesus does the best job of describing this correlation uh, when he tells this story later on in Matthew. Uh, It's in Matthew chapter 18, and and Jesus is going to tell us a story, but first, Peter has something to say. But this is kind of where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning is in this story. Before we do, I just want to pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word that the flower fades, that your word endures forever. And I pray that um, you would give us ears to hear what you have for us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So, Matthew 18, verse 21, 
Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, comes to Jesus with a question. This is what it says. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? So here's Peter, comes to Jesus, and he has this question about forgiveness. Now, in that day, the Pharisees, what they would say is, you would forgive three times. So if someone wrongs you, you forgive them. If they, they hurt you a second time, you forgive them. If they offend you a third time, you forgive them. But as soon as you get to the fourth time, that's it. You don't have to forgive them anymore. And it was actually pretty, pretty generous. I mean, they, they were actually more forgiving than most people uh, and probably more forgiving than, than some of us can be. Um, but they would say three times, and that's, that's all you're obligated to do. That's all you're going to do. After that, you don't have to do it anymore. So Peter comes to Jesus, and he says, well, maybe we should forgive seven times. And he's probably thinking, like, look, I doubled what the Pharisees did plus one. And so Jesus is probably going to say, like, whoa, that's a lot of forgiveness, Peter. Like, you're awesome. Yeah, do it seven times. But what does Jesus do? He answers and he says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, there's a lot of debate over the 77 um, some people will say it's just the number 77. Some people will say it's you forgive seven times 70, so, which would be 490 times of forgiveness. The point is it's not really about the number. Jesus is saying, look, you don't even keep count. Like You just keep on forgiving over and over and over and over. And it sounds crazy to us sometimes that you would forgive 490 times. If someone wronged me 490 times, that would be huge. He says, no, you keep forgiving. And he goes on to tell this story to explain what he means. In verse 23, he says this, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Pretty harsh. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. And he said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. First thing uh, I want us to notice about this story, which is not over yet. First thing I want us to notice is that the debt amount here, 10,000 talents, is a massive debt. They they, they said that uh, the average laborer would make about one talent every year. That's how much money a talent is. So if you do the math, kind of convert it into USD, um, that's probably about $30,000 you know, a year's worth of wages. Um, that's, that's a con- pretty conservative estimate. Or you could say that's three Bitcoin, um, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, so it's about $30,000. And he owes 10,000 of these talents to the king. He owes 10,000, $30,000. I know you're thinking, I better get my calculator out and do the math. Like, how much is this? I already did it. And I did it with a calculator, not in my head. Um, <laughs> That is $300 billion. That's a lot of money. 
Has anyone ever even seen $300 billion? I mean, $300 billion is an astronomical amount of money. So $300 billion in this story that Jesus is telling. As this isn't a story that happened. It's a parable. Jesus is, is using this to, to show us something. But there's a $300 billion debt. And so the first thing I started to notice was when, when I read this before, I thought, oh, this guy's a servant, which means like, was he like a, like a maid or like a house cleaner or maybe he's like the cook? And I thought, well, even if he shops at Whole Foods, there's no way he's going to spend $300 billion. This guy is a servant in the sense that he's under the king, but he's probably more of, of like a governor. He's probably more of a, of a servant to the king in the sense that he governs something and he's responsible for something that obviously he could get $300 billion into debt on. And, and it doesn't say whether it's through gross mismanagement of the money or if it's because this guy is corrupt or what, but, but Jesus, he makes this known to us in the story that three, the, the, this huge debt that he owes is such a big debt that any king anywhere, even, even the most powerful king of the time, the, the emperor of all of Rome, to forgive a debt that big would cost the king something. It would hurt the king. To forgive a debt that, that big could, could even threaten the kingdom, could threaten the king's kingship. It could put it in jeopardy. Such a huge amount. But, but the king, the master, he forgives anyway. He forgives this, this enormous debt that no one probably ever thought could be forgiven. And I think there's three things that we can learn from the master in, in his forgiveness of this debt, this kind of maybe three-step process to, to real forgiveness. And all three things come in that last verse that we read, um, verse 27. It says that the servant's master took pity on him, he canceled the debt, and he let him go. Took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So this first, this first word, took pity. I feel like this is kind of a tough translation for us in our culture because no one wants to be pitied. Like, I, don't pity me. Like, it's bad to pity someone. It's bad to be pitied. But, but really what the word is saying here is, is the king had compassion on him. Like, he saw the circumstance that he was in, and he had compassion on him. Even though he owed the king a ton of money, he had compassion on this guy. He pitied him in a way that was compassionate. And I think something really interesting happens when someone wrongs us, when someone hurts us, when someone does something against us, automatically our brain starts to do something. Automatically we begin to make a caricature of that person in our mind. If you know what a caricature is, you know, a cartoonist will draw a caricature and mean ones will draw, uh, you know, they'll draw your face and what they will do is they'll take your worst feature and they'll blow it up, and they'll make it like the biggest thing on the page. And so if you're a person with big ears, you're going to have these huge Dumbo ears in your caricature. It's going to be like the only thing you see. If you're Jay Leno, a caricature is going to have a huge, massive, mile-long uh, chin, right? Like his chin's pretty big, but it's not that big. But, but that's what a caricature does, right? You blow up the worst part about someone. And that's what, when we're wronged by someone, when we're hurt by someone, that's what we begin to do to them. We start to reduce them to the thing that they have done to us. And so 
if they have betrayed us, that person is a betrayer. And that's all they are, and that's all they'll ever be. They're just a, if they've lied to us, that person is a liar. They're one-dimensional now. You know, they're such a liar, and they'll always be a liar, and, and that's all they are to me anymore. But what happens when I lie? Right? Well, for me, it's like a little more complex. Because if I lie, you know, I'm obviously already feeling bad about it. And, you know, there's probably a good reason that I had to lie. And, and so, you know, I'm a, I'm a three-dimensional person. And, you know, I have good parts and bad parts of me. And, and like, I didn't want to lie, but I had to lie. And I felt like, oh, no, I, sh- I shouldn't lie, but I did. And, and so we, w- with ourselves, we begin to make excuses. But when it's other people, we want to boil them down. We want to reduce them to the thing that they've done to us. And it's the natural inclination of our heart that when someone hurts us, we focus on the differences that we have with them. We say, I'm nothing like that person who did that thing to me. That, oh man, that person hurt me, and I'm nothing like that. I would never do something like that. And what the king does is he takes compassion. And in order to, take, to, to have compassion, what we need to do is begin to focus on some of the commonalities we have with the person who's hurt us. We need to start focusing on some of the similarities we have with the person who hurt us. We need to realize that this person's not a caricature of the thing that they've done to us. They're, that's not the only part about them. That there's actually more to this person than just what they hurt us with. They have both good and bad parts, just like I do. I think this is the, kind of the first step that the king takes. He takes pity. He... he um, has compassion. The second thing he does is then he cancels the debt. He cancels the debt. Now, what does canceling the debt mean? I mean, I mean it kind of just means that you don't have to pay the debt anymore. I'll pay it. I mean, it's not like it just gets erased, like the money just disappears out in, into nowhere. Someone has to pay it, right? And so he's saying, look, you, you don't have to pay it. I'll eat the cost of the debt. I'll eat it, $300 billion. I'll eat that cost. And I think what naturally happens when someone hurts us is that there is this debt of emotional pain that's created. When someone hurts us, when someone offends us, when someone wrongs us, there's a debt created of emotional pain between us and them. And we want that person to pay. And it feels good when we make them pay. And we can make them pay in all sorts of ways. We can, if, we, if you're more of a um, direct person, you might insult them or, or be cold or harsh or withdraw friendship or, or try to hurt them professionally. I mean, there's all sorts of ways we directly try to make them pay for the debt that they've created. Or, or there's also indirect ways which we might gossip about them, try to ruin um, ruin their reputation, get a bunch of people that I know to hate them so that, like, yeah, everyone knows that this guy's a bad person. And maybe some more indirect ways of making them pay this debt. But what happens is this debt is created, and it starts to feel good to make that person pay for the debt. It starts to feel really good. Like, when something bad happens to the boss that fired you, like, doesn't that feel kind of good? Like, when bad stuff happens to the people that have done bad things to you, it, it, it satisfies something in us. But the satisfaction is, is something that's poisonous. 
See, as we make people pay for the debt they owe us, as we make people pay for this pain debt, bitterness begins to grow in ourselves. We allow bitterness to take root. The Bible in in Hebrews says that um, bitterness takes its root in us. Be careful to not let bitterness take its root. It's like this deep inner thing that begins to happen underground. No one sees it at first. You can't see the roots until it sprouts something up, right? And this bitterness begins to grow, and the more and the more we make people pay for the pain that they've caused us, the more and more we become like the pain that they caused us. There's a story about a boy who uh, is sitting on a park bench, and this guy walks by, and he sees that the boy is clearly upset. There's tears streaming down his face. And so he walks up to the boy, and he says, what's going on? What's wrong? And the boy says, well, I'm sitting on a bee. And the guy says, well, why are you still sitting on it? Like, get up. And he says, well, I figure I got to be hurting the bee too. Right? It's like, it's like the old saying that bitterness is like poison we take hoping it'll kill the other person. It's, it's poison we take hoping it's going to hurt the person that hurt us. And it ends up poisoning, poisoning us ourselves. So... We either make the other person pay and, and we become bitter people, we become angry people, we become hurt people, we become controlled by the pain that's been done to us, or we can pay the debt ourselves. It, it's not like we ignore it, it goes away. We have to pay it ourselves, and this is what I mean by that. Every time that I want to get even and I don't, with someone who's hurt me, Every time I want to get even and I don't, that hurts a little bit. Like, it stings a little bit, right? Every time I want to be cold to someone and I'm actually warm to them instead, that hurts me a little bit. Like, every time I have the chance to turn other people against the person who's hurt me and I choose not to, that hurts a little bit. I'm I'm eating this debt that's been caused by the other person. And that's what forgiveness is. We begin this process, and it happens over and over. Forgiveness is not like this one-time thing. If someone's hurt you bad, it's not like I can just say, you're forgiven, and it goes away. It's choosing that when, when I have the chance to gossip about that person, choosing not to, and it'll hurt a little bit, but that's part of the process of forgiveness because it's costly to pay down the debt. It costs us something to pay it down. But in spite of the fact that it hurts sometimes, slowly, depending on the size of the wrong that's done, it could take a day, a week, a month, a year, 40 years, your whole life, this process of forgiveness begins to take place. And and the debt begins to go away. And we no longer feel bitter, and we no longer feel angry, and we no longer feel the things that we don't want to feel. Um, this, This author, Lewis Mead, he wrote a book about forgiveness. And he says this, when you release the wrongdoer from the wrong, you cut a malignant tumor out of your inner life. You set a prisoner free, but you discover that the real prisoner was yourself. So you've you've taken pity. You've had compassion for this person that's hurt you. And then number two, you begin to pay the debt yourself. You cancel the debt. Both of these things are kind of internal things that happen. Um, You know, taking pity on someone having compassion for someone, that, that's an internal thing that happens. 
and canceling a debt, choosing to not be bitter. That's, that's an internal thing. And it leads into this third thing, which, which is kind of the external thing here. And it says he, the king let him go. He let him go. The king releases this man completely free. He's holding nothing over his head anymore. Now, I want to be sure to say this is not the king putting himself in a place to be hurt over and over and over again by this person. He doesn't then go and offer him another loan, right? He forgives him, but he doesn't put him in in a spot where he could hurt him again. I think it's pretty important. And and it also doesn't mean that, that we stop acknowledging that the sin that was done to us was wrong. I mean, we still acknowledge the wrongness of the sin. There's a pastor, Charles Stanley, he says, we're to forgive so that we may enjoy God's goodness without feeling the weight of anger burning deep within our hearts. Forgiveness does not mean we recant the fact that what happened to us was wrong. Instead, we roll our burdens onto the Lord and allow him to carry them for us. It's not like we're saying what you did was okay. It's not like we're saying keep on hurting me, but, but there's this freedom, this letting go of what's happened. So after the master, after this king lets his servant go, he forgives him of this incredible debt. What does the servant do? Verse 27 says this, that the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. That's where we finished. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Sounds pretty familiar. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went on and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, He said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is crazy. This is kind of a wild story, a wild parable. Um, and so what happens is, here's the servant, and he's forgiven of like $300 billion of debt. And the very first thing he does when he leaves, after being forgiven of $300 billion of debt, is he goes and hunts down someone who owes him 100 denarii. 100 denarii is, you know, like a $10,000. A denarii was a, a day's wage. So he goes and finds this man who owes him an infinitely lower amount of money, and, and he begins to choke. I mean, he literally begins to choke this guy, demanding his money. And the guy uses the exact same words that he used with the master. He says, be patient with me. I'll pay it back. He says, please, be patient with me. I'll pay it back. And he decides he's not going to forgive. This is the picture of bitterness. This is the picture of, of just unforgiveness. This servant who's been given a, forgiven of so much, goes out and hunts down those who owe him something, forces them to pay the debts back, even though he's been forgiven of his debts. And what happens? Everyone sees this, and they're completely outraged. 
I mean, the other servants see this guy and they're outraged. Why are they outraged? Because it's like this guy doesn't get it. What, did he not see what just happened for him? Did he not realize that he just was forgiven of $300 billion? And Jesus says, this is what we look like when we refuse to forgive our brothers and sisters, when we refuse to forgive others. We look like the servant who looks crazy. We are the ones who owe an infinite debt to God, and yet at great cost to himself, the cost of his life, the cost of the life of Jesus, he paid it for us. And see, we we begin to be moved to compassion because God had compassion for us. We begin to be moved to take pity because God took pity on us. We begin to move to cancel our debts because God canceled our debt of sin to us. We let others go in forgiveness because God let us go in forgiveness. I think there's kind of two types of of people um, that have trouble with this this, uh, parable that Jesus tells. Um, The first is the person who doesn't realize the amount of the debt that they've been forgiven. I've heard it said that we are far worse, we are far more terrible than we ever dared imagine we were. Yet at the same time, we are far more loved than we ever dared hope. See, we've got this huge debt. It's way bigger than we could have ever imagined. But at the same time, we are more forgiven than we ever could have hoped. So there's people who don't realize the weight of their debt that's been forgiven, but then there's also people who don't realize the power of the forgiveness. There's people who think, like, I've done, this is too much I've done wrong. There's too much brokenness in my life. There's too much hurt. I've caused too much hurt onto other people. Maybe you're the person who's not thinking, man, I, I need to go forgive other people. Maybe you're the person thinking, like, I hope other people forgive me because of all the stuff I've done. God can never forgive the huge amount of debt that I've racked up, but, but the king, he forgives way beyond anything we could ever rack up, any amount of debt, trillions and trillions of, of this pain debt that we, we can cause. God forgives. In, uh, in World War II, there was a, a girl named Corey Tenboom. I don't know if you've heard her story, but Corey Tenboom, she had a sister, Betsy, and a father, and they were all uh, sent to a Nazi concentration camp um, called Ravenbrook for harboring Jews in their house. Corey's sister and father were both killed at the camp while she was released due to a clerical error. In 1947, she returns to Germany after the war from Holland, and she begins preaching this message that God forgives And in one of her writings, this is what she says. Listen to this. It was the truth that they needed to hear most in the world, in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever, 
And even though I cannot find a scripture for it, I believe God then places a sign out there that says no fishing allowed. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and brown hat, the next, a blue uniform and a cap with a skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath her parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. That place was Ravensbrook, and the man who was making his way toward me had been a guard, and one of the most cruel guards. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, a fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that you, as you say, that we, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on. I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there, but I would love to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew it. The message of God... The message that God forgives also means that we forgive those who have injured us. And still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust out my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other. We grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even then, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. God, you've forgiven the unforgivable. 
we've offended the, the creator of the universe. We've turned our backs on the creator of the universe, and yet you took the debt upon yourself on the cross. You took the sin upon yourself on the cross. But I, I pray that you would keep that at the forefront of our minds, that as we go out and, and we're hurt and we're offended and we're wronged, that it would bring to mind you, how you were hurt, how you were offended, how you were wronged for our sake. God, I pray that, that you would give us the power, Lord, because of your forgiveness of us, we would be able to forgive others. Lord, we know that our forgiveness is just a picture of your forgiveness for us, Lord. So I pray that we would forgive well, that we would love well, that we would take compassion on those who hurt us, that we would pay the debt ourselves and that we would let them go. We thank you for Corey Ten Boom and the story that her life was. Lord, as we move into communion, I pray that that forgiveness is on the forefront of our minds. That as we take of the, of the juice and the bread, that we realize that the juice is the forgiveness of sins. The bread is your body broken for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And that you call us to go forgive others as we take it. Lord, we thank you for uh, all that you've done in this place and all that you're going to do. Lord, I pray that you would empower us as we go out uh, and seek to be a people of forgiveness. It's in your name we pray. Amen.